0: Welcome to Saturday Evening Torah Class, an in depth interdisciplinary study of the Hebrew Scriptures. Tonight's lesson is week number 12, Genesis chapters 12 and 13. All right, we're going to get started here now, week 12. We're going to finish up Genesis 12, maybe get into 13. And I'm going to ask you to stay with me tonight because we're going to we're going to do some heavy duty Bible looking tonight. All right. So first of all, let's come over to Genesis 12 and I'm going to it's a short chapter. I'm going to reread starting with verse four of chapter 12 in Genesis. So Avram went as Adonai had said to him and Lot went with him. Avram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Avram took his wife Sarai, his brother's son Lot, and all their possessions which they had accumulated as well as the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and entered the land of Canaan. Avram passed through the land to the place called Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. The Canaanite were then in the land. Adonai appeared to Avram and said, To your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to Adonai who appeared to him. He left that place, went to the hill east of Bethel, and pitched his tent. With Bethel to the east and Hai to the east, uh, rather Bethel to the west and Hai to the east, he built an altar there and called on the name of Adonai. Then Avram traveled on, continuing toward the Negev, because but there was a famine in the land. So Avram went down into Egypt to stay there. Because the famine in the land was uh, was severe, when he came close to Egypt and was about to enter, he said to Sariah's wife, Hear now, I know that you are a good-looking woman, so that when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, This is his wife, and they'll kill me but keep you alive. Please say that you're my sister, so that it will go well with me for your sake, and so that I will stay alive because of you. When Avram entered Egypt, the Egyptians did notice that the woman was very beautiful, Pharaoh's princes saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. He treated Avram well for her sake, giving him sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. But Adonai inflicted great plagues on Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Avram's wife. Pharaoh called Avram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my own wife? Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her away and go away. So Pharaoh gave orders concerning him to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Interesting episode. Well, we begin by now understanding from last week that a God-created covenant is nothing less than a new or modified law of nature. There is no other word we can come up with that expresses the unfathomable force of a covenant. A promise, a contract, a doctrine, a will and testament are just weak and inferior man-centered devices as flawed and apt to break down as the humans who made them a covenant of god has as its source the very spirit of god therefore of anything man is aware nothing can be as certain as that the purpose of that covenant will be carried out now is abraham is the first of a series of men called the patriarchs sometimes noah is called a patriarch but just as the judges and the kings and the prophets of the Bible were not the only people, those named ones, who ever judged or ruled or prophesied, Noah does not fall into the technical biblical classification of a patriarch. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, father, son, and grandson, are those men who are referred to by the Hebrews as the patriarchs. Now, if we were to read only the Old Testament. We would not be sure exactly where it was that Abraham received his marching orders directly from God Most High. The Genesis accounts of chapters 11 and 12 seem to make it that while temporarily settled in Haran, up in Mesopotamia, um, that Abraham currently called Avram, God is called, but Acts 7 tells us that before he got to Haran, presumably on the family's trek from Ur on up to Haran, somewhere along that way, God appeared to Abram. Now, some Jewish sages say no, it was actually at Ur to where Abram got his call, but I don't think that's very likely, because as long as Terah, Abraham's father, was still living, he would have called the shots. All right, when it came to moving the family, it wouldn't have been at the order of his son. So at the least we know that it was either during or immediately before um, Tarak, Nahor, and Abraham arrived at Haran that God approached Avram with a deal he couldn't refuse. Now what is clear is that Abraham's family was just as pagan as the rest of the world was at this time. I mean, it's unimaginable that prior to God's calling upon him that Abraham had divorced himself at some point from multiple God worship. Otherwise, he would have been at odds with his entire family at every step. And I'm confident that we would have found words in the Torah similar to those sorts of words pronounced upon Noah, that he was different from all other men. In other words, as regards Noah, he was judged to be the most righteous of all men left on the earth. We get no such assurance like that with Abraham. He just springs onto the scene. Now further, implicit in the command of God for Avram to leave his country and leave his father and leave his family is that separation... Was demanded. What Abraham was going to have to do could not be accomplished by remaining among a people, including his own family, thoroughly dedicated to their perverted religious ways. This constant pattern of God dividing and electing and separating continues, therefore, by the creating of the first man of a new nation of people a people who would be set apart just for God. Now, I cannot imagine that Abraham took this instruction from God to leave behind everything he knew in exchange for but some words of promise, even if the words were from this recently introduced God, without a lot of doubt and trepidation. It is equally as unthinkable that he simply accepted all that God said Right, and then carried it all out in absolute purity. Okay. One can be divided and elected, as was Abraham, but that hardly means that all the ingrained thoughts of the previous 75 years of his life, all the traditional and unquestioned ways of behavior and of worshiping the gods he had learned to worship, simply fled from him. Okay. If it were that easy and matter-of-fact the forced separation of Abraham and those who would go with him from the old wouldn't have been required. You know, it's man's habit that we just hate to let go of familiar things. Even if those familiar things are weighing us down or even destroying us. the, The security of the familiar present, no matter how terrible or hollow, is somehow better in our minds than the discomfort of facing an unknown future of change. You know, and left to our own devices, we often try to move forward into renewal while staying latched like an abalone to a rock, all right? To all that stuff that really needs to be left behind. Okay? The the pattern God shows us is not simply about the division nor is it only about the election nor even about the division than the election that third and final indispensable part of this dynamic process of God remolding us all until his purposes are achieved must occur in concert with the first two and that third part is separation Separation in one way or another is a prerequisite to serving God. Now, does that separation even involve family at times? You bet it does. And interestingly, that is precisely the example that's given here. Now, I'm certainly not talking about divorce, but it could happen that way. I mean, not as God's will, per se, But divorce, perhaps, is the result of a bad decision on somebody's part. Right? And the resulting separation, now being used by God to achieve good in ways we could never have contemplated, it could be the death of a spouse All right? or a parent that causes the separation. I mean, And it could be, as with Abraham, that for the purpose God has ordained, he couldn't stay tied to the old. As painful as that separation was probably for him. But the separation could also be from friends who simply don't share the values you know now that you have to follow or others who find you odd due to the wholeheartedness that you now have in following and serving Yahweh. Perhaps the separation must be from a church or a synagogue that has over time lost its first love. and now blindly chases after the world, which, by the way, is nothing unusual. I mean, nothing that should be at all unexpected, given what we've read in Revelation. Well, this concept of separation is, of course, central to Christ's teachings. Although it's not usually recognized as such, it just seems that there are these several statements that our Savior makes that causes us a lot of trouble here's the classic for you Luke 14 26 if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple this is all about separation it's not about hatred in the sense that we typically think of it. This is about being prepared to be at odds with those closest to you. As was Abraham with his family. Once you're called by God, recognizes, rest recognizing that you can no longer remain tied to the past. Particularly a wicked past. That God's calling surpasses any other purpose for our existence. Let's listen to more what Jesus would say on this same subject in Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. In Bible speak, many of the members of Abraham's household became his enemies because he was called by Yahweh to abandon everything that family held dear and to become God's man for a special purpose. Christ came to divide and separate as perhaps no other before him. The sword spoken of by Yeshua, is not so much a symbol of killing as a symbol of dividing. Okay. And he recognizes that for some, the circumstances of their being set apart for him are going to be heartbreaking. Okay. Therefore, he continues by saying in Matthew nineteen twenty nine, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Separation, which is often expressed in the Bible using words like set apart or sanctified or distinction, must occur in one form or another, if one is to be a believer. This is because the primary change in nature for a man as a result of salvation is that he or she becomes holy. And by definition, holy means to be set apart. So by means of accepting The separation that God insisted upon, in verse 4 we hear that Abraham ratified the covenant God made with him. In other words, simply by going, by leaving Haran and his family and his nation and going to Canaan, Abraham fulfilled his part of the deal. The entire remainder of the terms of this covenant, terms which would take centuries to develop and come about, were on God. It was utterly impossible for Abraham to fail and break the Covenant because it wasn't up to Abraham. This is perhaps the best definition of what a permanent Covenant is. It's all on God. It's unilateral. A quick Biblical rule about covenants. If man or nature has to continue upholding some part of that Covenant, in order for it to remain valid then it's a conditional covenant which means it can be broken and therefore there will be consequences now verses 4 and 5 tell us that Abraham Sarai, his wife and Lot, his nephew by the way who was the son of Abraham's deceased brother, Haran along with a bunch of cousins and some servants headed south now in the direction of um, Canaan. And remember, Canaan was the son of Ham. Canaan was the grandson who had a curse placed on him by his angry grandfather, Noah. So where Abraham was headed was the area that Canaan and his tribe had migrated to many years earlier. Now, we're at a time period here, with Abraham accepting this call, around 975 to 2000 B.C. Okay? By the biblical record, we're probably about 350 years since the Great Flood. Okay? And so scores of millions of people now inhabited the earth. Now, we're also told that the land God showed Abraham was naturally populated with Canaanites, those descendants of Ham and his son Canaan, and that God led Abraham and his clan quite a distance through the land before they came to a specific spot called Shechem, out in the center of the land of Canaan. Shechem by the way, is today known as Nablus. Okay, One of the cities under Palestinian control in the West Bank area. And there, God actually appeared to Abraham in some unspecified visible form. Right? And God appearing to a man from a biblical perspective was very rare. Right? But it was to make a very clear point that we must take at face value to this day. God told Abraham when he was standing there at Shechem, this was the land that he was giving to him and to all his descendants. And appropriately, Abraham built an altar and sacrificed to Yahweh. Now apparently, either through God's choice, or some, perhaps a preference left up to Abraham the clan moved on further south they journeyed oh, about 25 miles from Shechem um, probably 3-4 days at most and stopped for a time between what eventually came to be called Bethel and Ai and by the way in, the, in, in this section of the Bible, when it refers to I, what it really says is, is ha I, which means the I. All right? I means ruin. All right, So even in Abraham's day, it was called the ruin, interestingly. Now, Bethel and uh, I were only a couple of miles apart. And there, Abraham built yet another altar and sacrificed to Yahweh. Now, some undefined period later, he took his family and journeyed even further south toward what is called the Negev. All right, by the way, Negev is simply the Hebrew word for south. All right. Now, we should f- understand that without a doubt, Abraham's travels had nothing to do with him being someone who had an urn, uh, had an urge of wanderlust. Okay? Moving was always a dangerous and difficult thing to do. Okay? Rather, this first patriarch's movements had more to do with this never-ending search of an owner of herds and flocks for new water and new pasture. Now, we don't know what period of time transpired from Abraham's entering the land of Canaan To his going to the southern end. But during that time, conditions apparently worsened until there was a full-blown famine that threatened to see, to, uh, end his family's existence. And in a decision he was soon going to regret, Abraham went to Egypt to seek relief from the famine and he ran headlong into Pharaoh who took a fancy to his wife. Now, there is no mention of Yahweh directing Abraham to leave and to go to Egypt. It was Abraham's concern to survive that drove him to Egypt, a pattern which was going to be repeated by his grandson Jacob a couple hundred years into the future. Yet, Abraham hardly invented the idea of going to the nation that had been for many years by that time known as the granary of the region all right, and therefore had become a kind of a standard place of refuge particularly for the Bedouin desert wanderers of that era. Egypt was for those who lived at the southern end of the Middle East landmass what Mesopotamia was for those who lived to the north, a region of fabulous and dependable fertility. Now, One thing we need to take from these previous passages, just to kind of keep in mind as we continue through Torah, is how readily and ably people traveled in 2000 BC. There were many well-traveled routes, easy to follow, marked water wells along the way. And though it wasn't an everyday occurrence, strangers showing up in foreign places wasn't an uncommon event. People of that era were well aware of other peoples and far-flung nations and news traveled steadily by means of the trade routes that even at that time crisscrossed the Middle East and went as far as India and China during Abraham's day. Abraham, having made the decision to take his clan to Egypt until the hard times passed up in Canaan, prepared a deception for what he intuitively feared might happen. And he told Sarai to say that she was his sister, not his wife. Now, truth be told, actually, she was both his wife and his sister. His half-sister, daughter of another of his own father's wives. Sarai, now in Egypt, was immediately spotted by Pharaoh's men and it was reported to him that she was an exceptional beauty and so in Hollywood films about Abraham we're going to see a lovely young woman being carted off to be part of Pharaoh's harem now considering that it was likely could have been as much as 10 years since Abraham left Mesopotamia by now he would have been 85 about the time they entered Egypt maybe a tad less But Sarah was only 10 years younger, so she was somewhere between 70 and 75 years old at this time. Well, Abraham prospers greatly from this deception. He wound up with a great number of animals and servants. All of this would have been as the result of receiving a customary gift, a bride's price, paid by Pharaoh to Abraham for the hand of his sister, In any case, Pharaoh somehow finds out that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife and probably due to some type of pagan practice becomes fearful that taking another man's wife is going to cause some type of supernatural disaster caused by a god. Well, he's right to be concerned because God suddenly strikes Pharaoh and his household with plagues. Not all of Egypt this time, not all of Egypt just Pharaoh's personal household. So Pharaoh returns Sarai to Abraham and orders Abraham and his family to leave Egypt, but with all their possessions intact. Now, one thing we shouldn't overlook, beginning right here, there is a relationship of sorts created that will bring God's line of promise into contact and conflict with Egypt for centuries to come. Okay. It's also kind of interesting that this particular pharaoh of Egypt was wise enough to know better than to mess too much with Abraham. Because several hundred years later, another pharaoh displayed a less than wise attitude towards God's people, and neither he nor Egypt was ever the same from that moment forward. Let's move on now to Genesis 13. Genesis 13. Avram went up from Egypt, he, his wife, and everything he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Avram became wealthy with much cattle, silver, and gold. And as he went on his travels from the Negev, he came to Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, where he had first built the altar. And there Avram called on the name of Adonai. Lot, who was traveling with Avram also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the land couldn't support their living together because their possessions were too great for them to remain together. Moreover, quarreling arose between Avram's and Lot's herdsmen, the Canaanite and the Parisei, were still living in the land. Avram said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me, or between my herdsmen and yours, since we're kinsmen. Isn't the whole land there in front of you? Please separate yourself from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the garden, the Jordan, was well watered everywhere before Adonai destroyed Saddam and Amorah like the garden of Adonai, like the gar- like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So Lot chose all the plain of the Yarden for himself and Lot traveled eastward. Thus they separated themselves from each other. Avram lived in the land of the Canaan and Lot lived in the cities of the plain, setting up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, committing great sins against Adonai. Adonai said to Avram after Lot had moved away from him, look all around you from where you are, to the north, to the south, the east and the west, all the land you see. I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the specks of dust on the earth, so that if a person can count the specks of dust on the earth, then your descendants can be counted. Get up, walk through the length and breadth of the land, because I will give it to you. Avram moved his tent and came to live by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. There he built an altar to Adonai. So, Abram and his clan leaves Egypt and goes back up to Canaan. And we're told in verse 2, now, Abram was very rich. That is, he actually profited quite a bit from his trip to Egypt. I mean, I, I can just picture Pharaoh loading Abraham up with all the gold and silver and precious jewels and livestock, anything he wants, just please get out of here, all right, and take that God with you. I mean, can you imagine it? Now, by now I'm sure many of you are thinking, hey, gee, this sounds an awful lot. Like Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Yeah, this is another of those biblical types. This event sets up the pattern for that event that was to come several centuries later, the coming to Egypt of Jacob, and then the subsequent subsequent exodus from Egypt of Jacob's people, who will at that time be called the Israelites. Well, as any owner of herds and flocks would do, Abraham took his family and his livestock. Back to the areas he had already discovered were good for water and pasture. He went back to the area of Bethel and Ai. Now, this this newfound wealth that Abraham received from his adventure in Egypt soon presented some unanticipated problems. Between Lot, his nephew, and Abraham, they had so much livestock that there was wasn't there was no longer sufficient pasture nor water to sustain them so fights started to break out among the herdsmen and Abraham makes a decision they must separate okay and in a generous and godly act Abraham tells Lot that he can choose the land he wants for himself and Abraham will take what's left so Lot takes his wealth And he goes to the rich lands of the Jordan Valley and he settles near Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham in the fields of Canaan, Lot in the cities of the valley. Another division and separation is occurring. Abraham is being further separated from unrighteousness that's in the soul of Lot. Sodom was a notoriously wicked place and Lot well knew it Okay, that's why he chose it and undoubtedly why he was drawn to it and I have little doubt that that elderly and much wiser Abraham knew exactly what Lot was going to choose he knew well after Abraham separates himself from Lot Yahweh speaks to Abraham as if to reinforce the godliness and wisdom of that decision. God now adds some details to the term of the great covenant he's already made with Abraham by telling him in verse 15 that all the land he sees in every direction will be his and his descendants and it will be their land Ad Olam Ad Olam is the common Hebrew term meaning forever perpetual never ending those aren't my words those are God's so a new law of the universe has just been decreed as regards the land and as regards the number of his descendants in the form of a permanent, not a conditional, covenant. God didn't say, if you'll do this, I'll do that. There would be no amount of sin or rebellion that Abraham and his descendants could commit to. Or rather, could commit to cause God to rescind that covenant. And over and over again, the prophets remind us of that in Scripture. Yet for the last several hundred years, much of the church has said that the covenant no longer exists and that God has instead disposed of his promise to Abraham and essentially turned it over to Gentile Christians as the new Israel. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Most certainly, Yahweh warned that the people would be removed from the land for a time, because of their lusting after other gods. But never was it ever going to be permanently taken from them by Yahweh. And that's made abundantly clear in all the Bible. I think we're going to stop here for tonight. Next week, I want to begin the last part of chapter 13 by reading Ezekiel 36 and 37. We're going to spend a lot of time there next week, all right, and show you exactly what God said was going to happen as a result of this covenant that he has made with Abraham.